Well, good morning, guys. If you'll pull your Bibles out, turn to John chapter 17. That's where we're going to start this morning. And the idea today is that we're going to talk about this process of becoming something, this process of our faith walk. You know, if I think really hard back to being a kid, I can think about some of the things that, that I wanted to be when I grew up. And I think most of us have some of those memories, some of those, those dreams of what, what we wanted to be, where, where we wanted to see our lives go. And, you know, you know little kids that, that have some of those dreams, and some of them are, are just doggone cute, and then other ones are outright hilarious. We've got some friends that they have five children. Now, I didn't say a family of five, five children. They have a school bus that they drive everywhere they go. Um, and when they announced their pregnancy with their fourth child, they had three daughters. And I gave my buddy a really hard time. I said, man, you're trying really hard for, for a son, aren't you? <clears throat> and as fate would have it, they had a fourth daughter. And then a couple years later, they had a fifth announcement. And I said, man, if you're not careful, you're going to end up you know, with, with the whole sports team here, you've, you're already growing towards a basketball team. And, and he, sa I, he says, um, well, man, honestly, I, I used to think I wanted a son, but at this point, I don't know if I know how to be a boy dad. Uh, they're all girls. <clears throat> and so it is what it is. And as it turns out, that little boy that they had is now five years old. And this is the first year at five he started kindergarten. And y'all know the, the little things, the first day of school pictures that parents take. It's in the kitchen or on the front porch. And there's what I want to be when I grow up, what grade I'm starting, what year it is, all those, those memory pictures. You can embarrass your kids when they're seniors and you put those in their, their yearbook or whatever. That five years old, this is the first year that he doesn't want to be a dinosaur when he grows up. I did not want to be a dinosaur, though I think he's, he's onto something there. I didn't want to be a dinosaur. I wanted to be a football player. And, you know, I started playing football when I was five years old. By the time I got to middle school, football was my identity. And then, you know, I, I look back on my life through those years, and I trained year-round for the fall. Football was, was who I was. But then something happened in high school that kind of stunted my football career, I stopped gr growing this way. <laughs> and you see, there's just something, no matter what they wrote in our, in our program for the football team, there's something about a lineman who's not quite six foot tall, no matter how much heart and how, much, how fast you are, no matter how strong you are, college football probably isn't in the cards for you, and certainly professional football is, is off the table. But as I reflect on my football career, nonetheless, I think one of the highlights of that time for me was uh, several years ago, I, I've played in intramural leagues, I've played uh, you know, backyard football, I've never coached, I've helped some, some friends, kids, those kind of things along the way, but several years ago, we had a friend whose, whose son was playing football, and he was really struggling with just getting in a good stance. He was off balance all the time, all those sorts of things. And I spent about an hour and a half with him out in the yard, and I got the kid in a stance, and he became one of the strongest linemen on their team. And for me, that's probably the highlight of things. 
when I was five years old, I wasn't, I was a five-year-old football player. You know, you got to make sure they're even running the right direction. And then by the time I got to high school again, my identity was in football, but I realized that in that moment, now looking back, that I was, I was teaching that young man something that I might as well to him have been a professional football player. I remembered enough to help him. And over the years, it had become a process. When I was his age, I needed the help I, I was giving him. And I was at an age and at a point where I had the skills and, and remembered how to help somebody. And it had been a process of getting there. Over the last few months, we've talked about the core components of our faith walks. These foundational principles of what make us who we are as followers of Jesus. And today, we're looking at the process of the faith walk. The theological term that, that we're dealing with is sanctification. It means to be set apart. And again, it's the process of becoming holy, which is by definition being set apart. This is where the, the idea of saint comes from. I'll talk more about that here in just a few minutes. But it's the process that begins with authentic faith when somebody becomes a follower of Jesus and then goes throughout their lifetime. Here's the big idea. It'll be on the screen behind me that our faith walk is a process of change. Today, what the goal is, is to show you how kind of the process works and to encourage you about your part in the process. That, that process begins again at the instance you embrace authentic faith, that you are made holy in that moment because of Christ. And then throughout your life, it continues as you walk and you grow and gain maturity, you become more holy. And then one day for followers of Jesus, one of my favorite Statements Pastor Mike's makes one of his favorites. One of his my favorite sayings of his is, "You'll go meet Billy, Billy Graham and Jesus." <clears throat> and in that moment, your sanctification process will finish. Your perfection will be complete. John chapter seventeen again is where we're going. I'm going to pick it up at verse sixteen, but I want to let you guys know a little bit about what's going on in what we're reading today. In the, the Gospels, or the biographies as we call them, the biographies of Jesus, we read about Jesus and his followers. There are, here's a, another seminary term, a theological term for you. There are three synoptic Gospels. They're Matthew, Mark, and Luke. Those, those three parallel one another really, really well. And John is also a biography. It just fo he, John focused a little differently. I don't ever want you guys to worry about that and say there's differences in the story. What that is, here's an analogy for you. If you were to go get in a boat and go fishing with two kids, two, two youngsters, and they come back and they tell you all about their fishing trip, but one child focuses on the boat ride and the other one focuses on the fishing, that's all that difference is. It's a slightly different focus, but it's the same story. So this is John's, John's narrative of that story. We're, we're, we've, we're nearing Jesus' crucifixion. We're in the, the, at the end of Passion Week. The, the Passover festival is happening. They've done the Last Supper, that meal that we celebrate, communion in, in commemorating. There's the garden prayer 
that Jesus goes into the garden to pray, and then there's the betrayal that happens in the garden. What we're picking up in is the prayer. And in that prayer, John details three categories that Jesus prayed about. He prayed about himself. He prayed about his disciples, those, those, his closest followers right around him. And then he prayed for all future Christians, all, all believers around the world. The disciples' prayer for, where Jesus is praying for them picks up at verse 6. We're going to start it, though, at verse 16 today. So starting at verse 16, they are not of the world even as I am not of it. The not of the world thing there, that's, that's pretty simple to understand. It's just followers of Jesus are supposed to be different than the world. The world focuses on what it focuses on, and our goals and, and ideals and things ought to be different. And Jesus says, I am, I am not of it. He is the standard. We, we, we look at Jesus. He's our example he is holy, which is the goal of sanctification, is becoming holy. So our goal is to become more like Jesus constantly, to become holy. So there, he set the stage. They're different than the world. I'm different from, from the world. They need to be different. And then he gets to verse 17, and this is, t this is how it happens. He says, sanctify them by the truth. Your word is truth. Jesus starts to, to move here, that word sanctify, is the word that is the word of today. It's the same root word. I told you guys earlier, we'd spend a few moments on this, that it's the same root word that the word saint comes from. That idea there being somebody who's set apart, that somebody who's consecrated, somebody who's different, somebody who's, who's holy. The differences in the two word is saint is a person, sanctification is a process. It, it's an act. So it's similar words with similar meanings, meaning here that Jesus is talking about his followers being set apart, his followers being different. He's, when he says that and uses that word that's very similar to saint, he's not talking about somebody abnormally special. He's talking about those disciples that, that followed him very closely. And I told you guys there's three parts to this prayer. As he gets to the believers, he starts praying that they be like the disciples as the disciples follow him, that we're all supposed to be models of Jesus so he's praying this for all believers that we're all sanctified. That means you're St. John, and you're St. Maria, and you're St. Ryan, and I'm St. Tyler. Look, guys, the idea here is the foundation that Jesus is, is setting this up on is the truth. That's the next part of where he goes is sanctify them by your, by the truth. This word, the, the truth, is referencing God's word as we see. The next part of that is your word is truth. And there's, there's something very important about the way Jesus says that. He didn't say your word is true, an adjective. He said your word is truth, a noun. He's setting the baseline, the standard, as the book. This is the standard. He's, he's showing us how to become different. 
how, how to become set apart is to not let the world influence how we live, but to, to let the word permeate who we are. Let it become part of our being and guide our lives. That's where he's, he's, he's praying that God's word changes us. It's not just some book that conforms to some high moral standard it is the final standard of truth. So what Jesus is praying for here is that by God's word, by scripture, by the Bible, that his followers are different. They're clean. They're holy. And through clinging to these instructions, they live like it. But, but wait just a second because... Earlier in John, Jesus declared them clean already. If you were to turn backwards to John 15, John chapter 15, verse 3, Jesus compared his disciples to branches from a vine. They were offshoots from this trunk of strength. And I'll turn backwards to it and read it for you. He said this, You are already clean because of the word I have spoken to you. So, if they were already clean by the word, and there's more cleaning to be done by the word. There has to be something more to this, right? Of course there is. Our becoming clean isn't a one-time thing. It's a process. It's what happens at the beginning of our, our faith walk. It's what happens throughout our faith walks. And I want to show you guys that there's three phases of this that we, we live through. The first phase is upon our embracing of authentic faith. So when that happens, we are, are clean. We're justified by Christ. Our submission to him and his sacrifice, and when we call him boss of our lives, we become clean. We are sanctified in that moment. As John explained in the very beginning of the narrative, in John chapter 1, if you were to turn to verse 9, I'm sorry, they're wanting to stick together. We read, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins, purify us from all unrighteousness. That idea there being that we are purified, we are cleaned as soon as we accept Jesus, as soon as, soon as he is in our lives and taking an active role in the leadership of our lives, that means that somebody with authentic faith is already clean. But Paul said it like this to, the, to Corinthians in 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 11, but if you were washed, if you were sanctified, you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus. So Paul's talking to believers, and he's using the past tense thing, saying that th this happened. When you turned to Jesus, you became clean, you became, and he used that word sanctified. But then in Philippians chapter 2, verses 12 and 13, he, he, he looks differently at the same idea and says, therefore, my friends, you have always obeyed not only in my presence, but now, it, but now more 
in my absence, continue to work out your salvation with fear and trembling, for it is God who works in you to will and to act in order to fulfill his good purpose. That idea that you continue down this road is the second part, it's the second phase of our, of our sanctification, of, of the process. Paul's not speaking out of both sides of his mouth when he tells the Corinthians that, that they're focusing on, they were cleaned in the past, and then he tells the, the Philippians, continue working out being cleaned. He's looking at two different aspects of the same topic and saying both of these things are true. You were clean then, but you need more cleaning. You need more. You have to continue to strive on along this path, along this way of life. Authentic faith cleans us. Ongoing faith matures us. It gives us experience and shapes our lives. It makes us better followers of Jesus. If you were to take a, that example that I read earlier where there's branches that, that are, are the strength and there's, there's vines, if we were to think about a really common tree in our area, a pecan tree, a pecan sapling is a pecan tree. However, it's got to be tended and nurtured and pruned and given time to develop a, a root system before it really takes off and becomes fruitful. And it becomes the pecan tree we're used to seeing as we drive down the road. That is the process. A sapling is still a pecan tree, but the process of continuing on down this road reveals fruit. It reveals usefulness. And then the third and final phase in this sanctification process is in the next life. Paul, y'all, is one of my favorite characters in the Bible. When I think about if I got to have lunch with any single individual in the book other than Jesus, it has to be Paul. I think the dude just gets life. I think he, he would get me. In Romans chapter 7, verse 15, he says, I do not understand what I do. That's, that's my life. <clears throat> For what I want to do, I do not do. And for, but I, what I hate, I do. But Paul's saying, I know the things I need to do, and I mess them up. And then I know the things I ought not do, and I do them. And he's, I, he just gets it. And if this life, following Jesus, if our faith walks, if it was a hard life to live for Paul, I know that it's not going to be complete for any of us on this side of life. However, one day we die and our souls change. And speaking to, to followers of Jesus, the author of Hebrews said that when you come into the presence of God, that you come into the presence of the spirits of just men made perfect. That spirits being souls, just men, they were justified by Christ. And in the presence of God, after their death, their spirits were, were, were transformed and made perfect. Where the, the struggles that we put on ourselves by our own, our own self-sovereignty are gone. The, the struggles that are in this world because of our self-sovereignty are gone. 
And just think, our bodies aren't excluded from it either. When Jesus returns, Paul wrote this to the Philippians as well in chapter 3, verse 21. He said that Jesus will change our lowly bodies to be like his glorious body when he returns. So our bodies and our souls will be perfected. It's that final part of sanctification where, again, self-sovereignty is gone. We become untarnished beings like we were created to be. Now, I want to give you an analogy to kind of connect this, to kind of, kind of help us understand this. If you were to take something like cooking, if you, were, you had a child and they said, when I grow up, I want that's what they wrote on their, their thing on the first day of school, I want to be a chef when I grow up. And at seven years old, they learn how to fry an egg. They're not a chef. They might be mama's little best chef, but they are not a chef. And then at 27 years old, they've perfected the egg frying for the most part. And they've even gotten where they can flip an omelet without making a huge mess of things most of the time. But then by the time you get to 67, and, and maybe your grandparent, and you've got this roast that your grandchildren just love to eat, and they come, they'll come from miles to eat Sunday dinner with you because grandma makes this roast. Look, I'm telling you, the company's good too, but we are coming to eat the roast. And if we're lucky, Grandpa, he's got five meals that are there, five dishes that are his thing. That he's he's world renowned for them, but it's just five of them. One of them's still a fried egg. Um, but Grandpa might cook one of his dishes as well. And and you are known for that. Your grandchildren love you. They love coming spending time with you because of that meal. It did not happen over, overnight. It was a process of getting there, of growing and learning how to cook those things to prepare that meal. Grandma and Grandpa probably burnt a few meals along the way. And there were probably a few meals at 47 that they were really good at cooking, but they got distracted and ruined them as they burned. It's a process. And that's what I want you guys to take away from today, that sanctification is a process. Like so many things in life, football, hobbies, learning to cook, marriage, no matter where you are in the process, we want you to know this. You have to start somewhere. If you have not yet embraced authentic faith, we want to talk to you about that. If, if it's something you're struggling with, if it's something you're not, you're, you've got a, a hang-up about, if you've been hurt in the church, we want to say we're sorry and we want to talk to you. If, you. if that applies to you, you can use the communication card, write your name and phone number, and just call me on it and place it in one of their offering boxes. We'll get in touch with you. It has to start somewhere. If you're somewhere along the way, Realize that they're struggling and they're striding. There's ups and downs. We want to cheer for you during the ups. We want to help you during the downs. We want to cheer with you. We want to hook you up with other people who, who've been through some of the similar situations so that they can help you. We're created for community after all. 
And if you're striding and have learned through something, we, we want you to be able to look to others who need help and be able to extend a hand out to them. Just remember that there are highs and lows. It's, it's a process. Don't just get discouraged when the path is hard. Remember, Paul said, I do the things I don't want to do, and vice versa. And everybody realize that a day's coming that we'll stand before Jesus. And for followers of Jesus, we'll be perfected and holy.